Welcome to Safer Roads by Protective Insurance. Expertise to help you protect your fleet. Hello, and welcome to Safer Roads, presented by Protective Insurance. On this show, we sit down with experts from Protective to dive into the information they've gathered working as dedicated members of the transportation community over the last 100 years. These thought leaders and industry experts will share their experiences protecting people and supporting safer roads. My name is Rudy Sallow. I'm a lawyer in a large U.S. law firm where I advise on financing infrastructure and transportation systems throughout the U.S. I'm also a Forbes.com transportation contributor, public speaker, law professor, and podcaster. Joining me on the show today are two very special guests. First from Protective, the Vice President of Safety Services, Harry Stork. And joining us is the President and CEO of MagTech Products, Bob Morrison. Harry and Bob join me to discuss a current trend in the United States, the speeding epidemic. Together, we touch on why people speed, methods for speed reduction, both structural and for individuals, and how MagTech Safe Speed is making our roads safer. So get ready for safer roads, brought to you by Protective Insurance. Welcome, Harry and Bob. Can you both tell me a little bit about your respective roles and background when it comes to creating safer roads? Yeah, thanks, Rudy. I'll jump in. So I lead the loss prevention risk consulting practice at Protective Insurance. We are now part of Progressive Insurance, and we specialize in insuring heavy-duty trucking, which has a significant impact on the safety of our roads for not only truck drivers, but also the general public. I'm the founder and president of MagTech. We've been around since 1995, primarily in security for trucking, securing high-value loads, and we've moved into the safety side of it in mid-2000s and have a product called SafeSpeed, which basically limits vehicles to the posted speed limit and just making the road safer. That's great. Connecting things to safe speed. Now, driving at a safe speed is logically one of the easiest things we can do to improve safety on the roads, but yet people don't always do it. Can you talk to us about the speeding epidemic in this country? And as a part of that, what do you think some of the reasons people speed or why do you think they think it is okay to speed? We work with a behavioral specialist out of California and it's a behavior. It's something that people just do. Sometimes they don't even realize what they're doing, but typically if you're a speeder, you're an habitual speeder. So with the safe speed, it allows fleets, especially with the driver shortage, to keep good people, but improve their driving habits so that they comply with the different speed zones and they get to keep the employee, the employee gets to keep the job. You think it just all comes down to habit? Do you think it starts with training? Do you think, I mean, obviously I've taken driving school, you've taken driving school, we all had to do that as a part of it, but does it start there? Or how is it a behavior to be learned? Do you think it's just learned by watching, seeing other drivers on the road? I'm really curious about what this behavioral specialist told you. I think there's such an epidemic in speeding right now that everybody just wants to keep up with everybody else and everybody else shares that same behavior. And first thing, any of the pilots that we do they're amazing. What we do is we equip the vehicle with safe speed and we don't activate it. And we gather information for a couple of weeks. And then we have a driver meeting and activate the system. We tell the drivers what to expect. And all of a sudden it's, you've got a, a graph that's just out of control. And all of a sudden it just flatlines, much like having a heartbeat and a heart attack. It just flatlines and you've eliminated that speeding once it's activated. 
Harry, what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on this topic and, you know, in your, your role for protective insurance? I'm really curious. So I manage a team of client-facing safety experts that are very highly tenured in truck safety. And I would agree with Bob completely that speeding is a behavior that many of us have. We all think we're good drivers. You know, you can ask the question, how many in the room think they're an above average driver? And everyone raises their hand, which is mathematically impossible. So the human animal is a very curious being. We all think we can operate within limits that are safe or reasonable. But at the end of the day, we don't behave that way. And the biggest contributor to that in many instances with companies that don't have a solution like safe speed is you must have consequences to change behavior. So you can't just identify a behavior, but there must be consequences. There must be documentation that you're addressing the issue with coaching and training. We're in a very, very litigious world right now, and the plaintiff bar is looking for whatever reason they can to go for these high insurance settlements. Most importantly, we want people to be safe, but we want to also limit liability associated with speed and other safety factors. So controlling the human animal and getting them to do what they know is right, but to do it in a sustained way over time is very, very challenging. Yeah, I know that during the pandemic, when the roads were less full, there was already a speeding epidemic, and then it really shot up during the pandemic. I mean, we're kind of out of the pandemic now, and maybe those bad behaviors are continuing there. Also, moving a little bit away from speeding, because we, we could literally talk forever about it, but Weather is a big factor that can affect a driver when speeding. What are the impacts of driving too fast, speeding or not speeding, for road conditions? Like, how impactful can weather be? In our view, extremely impactful. There's the posted speed limit, and then there is the term driving to conditions that are kind of that variable condition, whether or not, literally. So if the vehicles around you are driving at a certain level, Many would argue to stay within the fold is a safe behavior, but if you're operating a vehicle, especially commercial vehicles that we insure that are huge, they're very dense, they weigh a lot, when a collision occurs at a high level of speed or at any speed for that manner, the consequences or the outcomes of that collision can be very, very serious and often deadly, unfortunately. So driving within what would be considered to be safe parameters based on weather conditions is the best practice. Bob, did you have any thoughts on the impact of weather and other factors as well? Yes, I do. I mean, I completely agree with Harry. The one thing that we rely on is we hope that the drivers will use their better judgment and slow down and drive according to the conditions. In the event that, for instance, if there was a huge storm in the Northeast, fleets can go in over the air and adjust the vehicles down five miles an hour, 10 miles an hour, 15, what have you. They can do that with safe speed. That's incredible. And, you know, with climate change and the weather just being so variable, if you will, that's going to be really important for the future. I don't want to out myself, but I am a Californian. I live in Los Angeles. Sometimes I speed. What are some of the unseen costs of the speeding people like myself might not immediately think about when they are actually driving? Other than the safety element, it elevates your total cost of ownership of your assets. Vehicles driving at a higher rate of speed burn more fuel. They cause more maintenance issues with braking. 
So there are many other consequences of speeding other than just safety, but arguably safety would be at the top of the list. But many fleets are looking to operate their assets at the lowest total cost of ownership possible. In trucking, fuel consumption is right up there with your depreciation of your asset. So I don't know the exact numbers, but for every extra mile or two per hour, the impact on fuel consumption is significant. And when you multiply that times hundreds of thousands of miles a year times X amount of vehicles in your fleet, the economic impact is substantial. Forgive me for asking this. I feel like I should know, and I don't, because I don't currently drive an electric vehicle. You're talking about fuel and the use of fuel. If you're speeding in an electric vehicle, does that also take extra charge? Do either of you know off the top of your head? I'm just curious. My assumption would be yes, but electric vehicles are not in our portfolio and will not be for some time. That's kind of an aspirational thing that our society is moving towards. The fact of the matter is there is not enough infrastructure to charge commercial vehicles and electric trucks are not anywhere in the near future. Similar to the autonomous truck without a driver, we're talking 20, 30 years down the road before that's even a significant reality. We're talking fossil fuel diesel vehicles. Totally. I just want to make sure that our audience knew that we we're specifically talking about that vehicle just because EVs are in the news everywhere. And I couldn't agree more with you about the infrastructure. As an infrastructure finance attorney, I argue the point incessantly that our infrastructure is not there yet. So thank you for raising that point. I feel like I want to do like a happy dance that you said that. So, th so thank you for bringing that up. Bob, did you want to add something? Sorry for going off script here, but this is very fascinating. Yeah. Our safe speed device is retrofitable on every type of vehicle. So whether it's a diesel propane, gas, EV. We do a lot of EVs right now, but on the lighter duty side, and we have a large fleet, and we've just completed over 200,000 miles of testing with them, and we've reduced speeding by over 99%, and we've reduced hard braking just under 40%. So the product works on class eight trucks all the way down to light duty vehicles. And the other thing Harry alluded to, the fuel savings, Interesting because between fuel and maintenance savings, if someone were to put this on a lease, for instance, they can pretty well expect to be close to a break-even point month one. In other words, you're going to save more, generally more in fuel than what the lease is going to cost you. That's incredible savings, especially with this runaway inflation. So that's great to know. Talking about speeding in general at a higher level, what are some effective ways a community can work to prevent speeding? For example, at the individual level, or what role do you think, alluding back to what I was speaking to earlier about early education, what role do you think education can take in reducing speeding? Well, I'd like to jump in because I've done a fair amount of work with some major carriers in the country. And up until intelligent speed assistance technology, which is what we have, really, uh, they were limited to disciplining a driver, terminating a driver, coaching a driver. But what we've seen is they typically go, that behavior comes back. It's like driving by the scene of a terrible crash. Everybody slows down for 10 miles and then everybody's speeding again. And that's exactly what happens, what we're finding with coaching. And the other thing with intelligent speed technology is that you don't need the resources in the back room going through all the analytics, looking at the data to see who is speeding. That's a cost that they can eliminate and reassign that person to something else. Speeding kind of just goes away with safe speed. Yeah, I would add to that, Bob, that in the 
vehicle technology space, Rudy, you could break technology into two very distinct categories or possibly others, but the two distinct categories that I would use are solutions that are active and solutions that are passive. So a passive solution would be something like a vehicle telematics platform. So you have a technology in your vehicle that detects speeding, it detects hard braking or other types of activity, vehicle location, things of that nature. But all it's doing is step one is identifying the behavior that is negative or positive. And to Bob's point, that starts the requirement of the chain of events to correct the behavior. Number one, you identify the behavior. Then you have to document. Then you have to coach. Then you have to document that you've coached. Then you have to monitor and train. And the average trucking company that we insure might only have 40 vehicles on the road. It's very much a mom and pop type of an industry. So years ago, speed governing has been around for a very long time. I'm a golfer. If I'm in my golf cart and I'm speeding down a hill, the golf cart will only let you go so fast. Well, many trucks that are out on the road have the ability to govern speed where we're not going to let you go faster than X. You know, I'll make it up 70 miles an hour. So for speed limits at 65 or 70, that's a very effective technology. But what happens when that same truck is in an area where the speed limit is 45 miles an hour? The 70 mile an hour governing doesn't do you any good. And that's where Bob's solution solves a huge issue in safety on the roads. Your point is a great one, right? Okay, let's maximize it at 70. Who's driving 70 all the time? It needs to be variable. So that's really interesting. You know, actually, speaking of which, turning to you, Bob, as the CEO and president of MagTech, you have helped pioneer the Safe Speed, which is the product that we've primarily been talking about today. Can you tell us a little bit more about Safe Speed, what it actually is and what role it plays in speeding prevention? Like, how did it come about? Like, a little bit of the history of it. I tend to kind of nerd out on that type of stuff, as well as about some of the success you've had with your customers. Yeah, actually, I'd be glad to. When we started back in the late 90s, we developed an add-on to our security product, and that was remote vehicle disabling, which gave the carrier the ability to interact with the vehicle should there be an issue, either terrorism, hijacking, impairment, erratic driving, people getting complaints that this driver's all over the road. It gave the ability to the company to go in and bring that vehicle to a safe and controlled stop. And we can do so on an 80,000 pound tractor trailer. It typically is about a four minute takedown. Then for lighter duties, we have immediate. But as a result of that, and incidentally, for those in the trucking industry, the ATA's Technology and Maintenance Council, their recommended practice 1218 was written around our vehicle disabling technology. And that technology was vetted by DOT, FMCSA, DHS, and of course, ATA. From that, we realized that we could control the vehicles. And in 2016, there was two terrible crashes involving school buses. Both of them were school buses. And both were involved in crashes that one was in a 30 mile an hour zone and he crashed at 55. The other one was a driver who had a medical issue, fell on the pedal. He was in a 30 mile an hour zone 
Actually, that was in Harry's home city where he hit a transit bus. So this was a medical event and he hit the transit bus and killed six people. And on the other school bus, six other children were killed as well. And we realized we can control the speed at all levels. And that's where safe speed really came into being. From a company standpoint, we look at safe speed as being the backstop, certainly for litigation in terms of saying, okay, the vehicles can't speed. It is configurable. So if someone wanted to give a driver three over, he can do that or three under. If you have a new driver starting, you can adjust that speed to a lower speed for that new driver. But it's important to understand that it is a backstop. So you won't have anyone in a 45 driving 60. Won't happen. That's where safe speed came to being. And we introduced it because we knew what we were involved in the trucking industry at the time. That's where we started. But we're dealing in a lot of different verticals right now, from light duty to passenger transportation verticals to heavy duty trucking. The safe speed platform and others out there are what are defined as aftermarket solutions. So you could have a five-year-old vehicle and put this technology on it where you don't have to wait, say, two or three more years before you're replacing that vehicle. So again, very convenient, easy to deploy, huge upside in safety benefits and fuel cost savings, and you don't have to start when you get a brand new vehicle, where many other technologies require that. That's a great segue to our next question. Two part. Number one, implementation on an individual vehicle. Just really quickly, like, what does that actually look like? And number two, hearing about those crashes and everything, like, what was it like telling the world, we have safe speed, it'll stop this? The implementation to rolling it out in order to try to bring down the possibility of terrible things happening. I'm just curious, like, what was the rollout like to the trucking and fleet industry? As it is with a lot of products that are aftermarket, difficult, slow. People figure if I can buy the vehicle with the technology on board, that's more affordable than going out and spending money to purchase the product and then have it installed. But what we're seeing now is word of mouth. We're strictly in the trucking industry, and now we're dealing with major cities in the country who are equipping fleets, and they can be medium-sized, medium-duty vehicles as well as heavy-duty and light vehicles. It's a challenge. It's word of mouth. There's a tremendous amount of interest in it because of the backstop situation. If you do have an issue, you will have that incident that might be involved in a crash at a posted speed limit, but certainly not in excess of that posted speed limit. So you're trying to mitigate your position. And how long does it actually take to install safe speed into a single vehicle? We typically allow an hour and a half. Typically, once an installer is comfortable with it, because we do train companies, technicians, so we certify them. Once they've done half a dozen of them, they can probably get that down to an hour, an hour and 15. I know that our lead technical trainer can do a Mercedes Sprinter in 20 minutes. And it's plug and play. There's no splicing into any existing wiring. It's plug and play. Unplug the OEM, plug in ours. You're good to go. Yeah. We've talked a lot about this today. Speeding, of course, has been around since we've had roads and vehicles to drive around on them. But in recent years, we've seen its prevalence. It's gone up, it's gone down. How do you see things being used to create safer roads like safe speed for the future? I believe there's a tremendous movement right now. We're working with a lot of government agencies who are, as Harry alluded to, the speed limiter has been around forever, but that's top end. It does nothing below that top end governed speed. There's a tremendous amount of interest right now with a number of different agencies, federal agencies, state agencies, 
in curbing this trend. In 2021, there were 42,000 people killed as a result of speeding. That's a lot of people. So of all of the unsafe driving components that were measured by the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance in 2022, speeding is by far the top category in that unsafe driving category. Speeding is fourfold more than the next closest one, which was a driver that was cited for not wearing a seatbelt. So speeding is far and away the most plentiful of the infractions. I guess you could argue that a police officer is going to see a vehicle speeding with a radar gun easier than they'll see if someone's wearing their seatbelt. So that kind of stands to reason. But as Bob indicated earlier, at 20 tons fully loaded going 70 miles an hour, when that vehicle hits something, the consequences are pretty dire. And we see it every day in the claims that we settle. The plaintiff bar is going after trucking companies looking for huge settlements, what are called nuclear verdicts. And so my team works with our clients with our own in-house resources, but most recently with tools that Bob's company offers and others to say, there are third-party resources out there that can help you tackle this issue And we would like to highly recommend that you consider safe speed as part of your safety toolkit. And it's getting much, much more momentum here in the last six months. It's very exciting. That's great, Harry, especially since you just tied in the prior episodes where we were talking about nuclear verdicts with some of your team members and the problems of them. So you really wrapped this discussion up beautifully. And thank you for doing that. We don't have any other questions here, but did either of you have anything else to add? I think uh, one of the important things about safe speed and our technology is we quite often look at the risk factor, but safe speed, by driving the speed limit, you're going to save lives. You're going to reduce injuries. We always talk about lives that are lost, but how many people are injured for life, left as a quadriplegic as a result of it. So typically they're tracking fatalities, but speed-related crashes are horrific and they're life-altering in many cases. So... We totally support this. Our mandate as a company now is more into safety than our original security solutions. We still sell them, but safety is front and center for us. And we totally agree with what Harry's doing and Protective is doing. They're on the right track. They're leading the way. Harry, might I recommend that in addition to when you're issuing these policies that you force your insured to listen to this episode, not only so we can get some listeners, but maybe we can get people to reduce their speed because just being reminded of this, I understand behaviors are what they are, but Bob's whole point, it's not just deaths. We're talking about casualties and and injuries. People need to be reminded of that. Every single one of our clients in our portfolio that we insure for trucking Each one of our clients has assigned a risk consulting expert that's part of my team, and we work with our clients hand-in-hand to help them be as safe and compliant as possible, but I guess it's the old adage, it takes two to tango, and many of these clients possibly have plentiful resources if they're a 2,000-truck fleet, and others, it's just really a matter of capacity and scale. Do they have time? So that is the key distinction I'll close with is 
a solution like SafeSpeed being an active system, it eliminates the need for what is commonly described as the most challenging part of a safety organization, which is to identify, document, train, coach, and keep yourself out of the courtroom by doing all of those things. It sounds very easy. It is very difficult. Rudy, one of the things we hear a lot of today is the driver shortage. And people say, well, I can't afford to let my driver go. Well, you can't afford to keep them unless you're going to make some significant changes. Otherwise, you could wind up on the wrong side of the law. So the good news is if you've got a good employee with a little bit of a lead foot or a lot of lead foot, you can get to keep that driver by just equipping the vehicle with safe speed. He gets to keep his job and you get to keep a driver behind the wheel. It's a good story for everyone. And that's good for our country and our economy. So thank you both, Bob, and thank you, Harry. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, well, thank you. That is all the time we have today. I want to say a big thank you to Harry Stork and Bob Morissette for being on the show today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Remember to keep an ear out for the next episode of Safer Roads 2. I'm Rudy Sallow, and this has been Safer Roads by Protective Insurance.